card-carrying basing at this point. Ben Alomar, director of sports analytics at ESPN. Just the next to Big Poppy, be like, he's just one of us, man. <laughs> That's kind of a big deal and shows you a lot about the randomness of sports. Rick Peterson, the director of pitching development for the Baltimore Orioles. This is Warden Moneyball's post-game podcast. Welcome to the Wharton Moneyball post-game podcast. This is your crash course on the major themes from our two-hour radio program, Wharton Moneyball, which you can hear live on Wednesdays in the morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm Professor Adi Weiner, co-host and collaborator and professor of statistics at the Wharton School, and I'm here to break down the week's top takeaways. We featured two guests, and it was all baseball In honor of the baseball playoffs, we had Rob Arthur, columnist for 538, and we also interviewed Glenn Healy, a professor of electrical engineering and computer science at the University of California at Irvine. Our first clip is a discussion that I had with Eric, Eric Bradlow, professor of marketing, where we discussed the effect of momentum and the ability that data has for measuring the effect of momentum. Let's imagine an infinite number were played, and it turned out to be a 52% to 48% disadvantage. You wouldn't be publishing a blog like our friend Andy Gelman, which would say, oh, there's no way that's possible. You'd believe it's possible. It's just that your belief right now is there's just not enough evidence. There's that's not... right. So my, that, that essentially summarizes it with an infinite amount of data. I, I believe that it's there. And the reason why I believe it's there is that athletes talk about it. And they and and, they, and the psychology of sports is is uh, sufficient. And I've been enough of a competitor in my earlier years to know that when you're hot, there's something magical about the way it feels. And and I think and and professional athletes have talked about this enormously. You, you if you're just in the stadium at the time of a of a victory, the charge that it gives the players, the, the right. mom, I mean, that's really what you're summarizing as momentum. The problem is is that it resets very very quickly. And so if I if there's anything that I'm certain about it is that the momentum effect isn't very strong so one of the major lessons and this is a topic we've talked about a lot on moneyball is that even if an effect is small it doesn't mean it's not real it just means that the data isn't rich enough to detect it and i think that's the summary of the momentum effect at this point there's enough data that's been collected to essentially establish the fact the momentum is not a huge effect, but it still might be a reasonably large effect. And for many players, it's just not, can't be a big effect for many players. In our next clip, we'll be discussing with Rob Arthur, the fateful decision by Buck Showalter, not to use Zach Britton in the one-game playoff. Adi and I spent the first 15 minutes here on Wharton Moneyball in almost disbelief about... Uh, Buck Showalter's non-use of Zach Britton in the game with the fallacy, well, what happens if we take the lead in the top of the inning? We won't have our closer in the bottom of the inning. So, Rob, you spend all of your time thinking about this. Adi and professionally, I spend, Professionally. Right, so. <laughs> Adi and I spend some of our time thinking about this semi-professionally. Could you tell us your thoughts Let's both about it. Zach Britton's non-use last night by Buck Showalter and just in general your thoughts about closers? Yeah, so that was really, really puzzling to see. I, I completely didn't understand it. And were you screaming I, at the at the I, screen as I was? <laughs> bring I, him in! Bring know, him in! At this point, at this point, I'm I'm not surprised anymore when I see that kind of thing happen. Um, but I guess it was more surprising because it came from Buck Showalter, who's got this really incredible reputation in the game as being very tactically flexible and especially good at bullpen management. 
And now one of the interesting things that came out of the article that I wrote where we tried to measure how good managers are at using their bullpens was that Showalter actually didn't rate that well, according to our metric. So it, it might be that he has some problems uh, using his closer at the right time or using his best relievers at the right time, um, even though he, he does seem to do well in terms of like matchups and, and managing fatigue. Could you tell so, us what that metric? Could you tell us what that metric was? How how did you measure? Yeah, sure. The idea of it was um, we have a a measure of how good every reliever in the bullpen is, which is deserved run average, which comes from Baseball Prospectus, and it's basically the most sophisticated way to figure out how good a pitcher is. And then we also know when each reliever is used uh, in the game, how important the moments are when they're used, um, and that's measured by leverage index, which is an old sabermetric concept. And so what we did is we looked at for every year, if you have a given manager, is he matching up his relievers, his best relievers, at the highest leverage moment. So if you do if you do that, you should see a negative correlation between the skill of the reliever and the leverage index of the moments when that reliever is used. So essentially, we took that correlation as a measurement of how good the reliever, or sorry, how good the manager was at optimizing his reliever usage. So let's unpack that. That was a lot of information in a short clip. We began by observing that Buck Showalter failed to bring in the best pitcher in the game this past year, Zach Britton, in a one-game playoff, and he just simply didn't use him. The game just went on, and Zach wasn't brought in, even though it was tied. And the problem was is that the traditional usage of a closer is you bring the closer in when you have a lead, and the Baltimore Orioles never managed to acquire a lead, and so they never used Britain. What Rob Arthur is doing is being much more analytical by using a, a system of correlating quality to leverage to measure how good a manager is at bringing in the relievers. And it turns out that Buck Showalter is actually on the the poor side of managers. His correlation is not as low as it should be, meaning that they don't match, he doesn't match the the quality of the pitch to the quality of the situation. You want to actually have very good pitchers in very important leverage situations and weaker pitchers in, in poorer situations. So that's one way to look at the entire concept. Our next clip is Rob Arthur again discussing the increase in home runs. Rob, what are your thoughts on this? Why are more home runs being hit this year? What what is I know you did a study on this, so what did you find? Yeah, so like you mentioned, I've written three or four pieces now, a few of them with Ben Lindbergh, who's now at the Ringer. Um, and uh, we we were confused because it actually started happening, the increase in home runs started happening around the All-Star break last year. Um, and it's continued into this year and gotten even more significant this year. But we started writing about this uh, before this season even started. Um, and after we had eliminated a bunch of factors like atmosphere, like the atmospheric conditions, and uh, maybe uh, there was a surge. Global in warming? I don't know. What <laughs> yeah, global warming. We actually considered that. Um, but we didn't see any, any evidence for any of those things. So what we were left with essentially was that the ball had changed. And that was the only thing that could be so sudden um, and cause such a huge spike in home runs. So we actually got some balls and we sent them to a sports science laboratory and got them tested. And um, fired out of an air cannon at a steel plate to measure the bounciness of them, essentially. And we found that there was a slight increase in um, the balls that we bought from after the All-Star break, but it wasn't statistically significant because the variation was too large. And that's when we sort of ran out of money to pursue this. So um, after doing some more work, we, we were even more convinced that it's likely to be the ball um, that changed. So in, in that sense, it should be pretty durable unless they change the ball again. But so far, MLB has uh, insisted that the ball is exactly the same as it was before, and there was n- there's nothing different. But 
if it's not the ball, then we really can't think of any other potential explanation because, like you said, it's it's incredibly even. It's affecting all players at once, not in a way like like what happened during the steroid era where you had people that were hitting 60, 60 and 70, 70 runs. You know, you're, you're, um, you're really seeing an across-the-board increase to everyone. Rob Arthur is uh, talking about the phenomenon that's been observed since last season, moving into this season, that there's been far more home runs hit in baseball, approaching the same levels that we observed in the steroid era. And the question is, why is that happening? Why is it happening apparently so suddenly? And so Rob investigated with Ben Lindbergh, who's been on our show before, um, looking at uh, perhaps it's the ball. There's a lot of features of the ball. So the feature in particular that they looked at was the compression of the ball, and they brought it to a laboratory. And they did observe that there was an increased compression, but it wasn't statistically significant, which means that it's probably not a very big compression if it's there at all. And um, they don't simply have enough data to prove it, and it's very expensive to acquire that data. So at this point, it's still an open question. Why are there so many extra home runs? And we hope that we'll get better answers to that question over time. Our next clip features our second guest, Glenn Healy, and he's also talking about batted ball on contact. Well, the hypothesis was if we can measure what happens to a batted ball at contact, which is what these systems like HitFX and StatCast can do, that that would be more repeatable than if we look at the outcomes that depend on all these other, the defense, the ballpark, the weather, and uh, just random luck. So I figured, all right, how can we go from what, say, StatCast hit effects measure to something that is intrinsic to what happens at contact, to what the batter and the pitcher do have control over? So based on, I've worked on a lot of similar kinds of um, problems, not for baseball, but, but for other things. As far as I've talked in the past about invariance, try to get rid of the variables that you don't care about and be left with what you do care about. Mm-hmm. So I tried to isolate what was intrinsic to a, a batted ball, and I, I went through some, uh, started with a Bayesian framework. And What does that uh, mean just for our listeners? Uh, I mean, I'm a Bayesian statistician, so I know. I just want to make sure our uh, listeners know. Yeah, so the idea was uh, we have a formula from Bayes' rule for the probability of an outcome given, in this case, the parameters of a batted ball. So the the batted ball parameters that are measured by HitFX and StatCast are the ones that I'm using, or the exit velocity, and then there's two angles that can specify the, the direction. So... Uh, there's the vertical angle that's the angle that the trajectory makes with the plane of the playing field. So like plus 90 would be straight up, pop up straight up in the air. Minus 90 would be just a, a ball that's just hit straight down into the ground. And then most batted balls are somewhere in between. So there's an optimal launch angle or vertical angle that batters are, are typically trying to get. And then there's the horizontal angle, which is the direction on the playing field. So that's the projection of the trajectory into the, the plane of the playing field. These, so, seem, these sound like three very informative numbers. This is gold right here. Well, if there were no atmospheric f- effects, if there were no ball differences then and no spin differences, that's all you'd need. But those are the two factors. The three factors actually do matter, and that's the uncertainty. Th- that's, uh, if you're looking at, yes, yeah, spin would be good. That we don't have... Um, well, the, the measurements I've seen, uh, it's hard, a little bit hard to interpret. But as far as what happens at contact, the idea is we get rid of the atmospherics because we're just looking at what happens to the batted ball right after it's hit. So that's one of, one of the advantages of, of this approach. So you can take out the weather, the ballpark, the, 
the height of the infield grass that the people manipulate to try and help their, their ground ball pitchers. All those things are taken out of the equation, and we're just looking at what happens right after the ball is hit. So what Professor Healy is doing is one of the holy grails of baseball, which is to extract all the randomness out of the hitting outcome by representing the value of the batted ball just through three numbers, the velocity off the bat and two angles. The principle is is that you can use some basic probability tools to essentially assign the probabilities to each of the outcomes dependent on what has typically or historically happened to balls hit at that velocity at those angles. And that way you can get rid of the effects that have to do with fielding, have to do with the different ballpark dimensions, and represent a ball player's hitting value just through physics, just through these numbers. And the principle is is that you can extract randomness and you can identify a, a player who's had a good season or a poor season just by these numbers and not looking only at the actual outcomes. And it's really a tremendous advance if we can do it well. What we were discussing at the end was that there are certain obstacles. One of them, of course, is that there are factors that are not measured, atmospherics, as well as the ball characteristics. One of the studies that uh, one of our guests in our previous show had talked about was there's actually a huge differences in the balls. And those can create very different um, trajectories through the air because of the grooves of the ball and the different surface tensions. And so it's still a, a widely unsolved problem. In our last clip, we will be discussing with Glenn Healy, the reliability of batted ball statistics. So much of the game, particularly at the lower levels, is dependent on fielding and, and conditions. And you can essentially extract that with this technique. So you can say how hard you're hitting it at what angle. That, uh, that is a good forecast. That's a good measure of how good you are as a hitter. Unfortunately, it doesn't take into account pitching quality. So high school pitchers just are just not the same level. Minor league pitchers are not the same level. But maybe we can start to build models that forecast those adjustments. So, it's, so for me, it's a terrific tool because it allows you to extract that huge randomness component, which is, which is implicit when you look only at outcomes measures. This is the building block of why you are a good hitter. That's right. Yeah, it's, um, I, I think removing the, the random component is a, is a big part of this. And we've done it in one of the more recent papers I've written. I've examined the reliability of these intrinsic batted ball statistics for batters and, and pitchers. This was in the hardball times not too long ago. What does that mean, reliability? Uh, yeah, the reliability is a term from uh, social sciences. So you can think of it as being the repeatability of a statistic. So year-to-year correlation or something different? That's right. Yeah, one way to estimate reliability is just a split-half correlation, where you take uh, half the data, you compute the value of the statistic, you take the other half of the data, you compute the value of the statistic, and you do that for a set of players, and then you look at the correlation. Do you ever so s- if, if, say, the yeah. first half is a perfect predictor of the second half, then you'll get a, a very high reliability. So that's a really good way to summarize some of the other topics that we were talking about earlier. This has been the conclusion of another episode of the Wharton Moneyball Postgame Podcast. I'm your host, Professor Adi Weiner, and I hope you'll join us on a future week. 